In today's show, we look back at the one game from Thursday, Dallas-Detroit, recap that, highlight the injury news, including some injuries in Atlanta, and I've got a couple of other little things we're going to talk about, waiver wire moves and a few other things as well. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com, and you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball, and on Substack, JoshLloyd48.Substack.com. Um, today's show, yeah, it's brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. So, there's only the one game that's on. So, I'm going to go through all of the news. We're going to look at waiver wire stuff and a couple of other advanced stats things that I'm going to look at before we get into breaking down that game. I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll see. Michael Bolton. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Jared Allen's out again for Cleveland. Kevin Love is doubtful. I'm not really sure why they're just not ruling um, Love out for multiple weeks with a thumb fracture. That would be my expectation, but it's just not happening. With Allen out, we had Mamadi Diakiti. So if you're in a really deep league, maybe we look at Diakiti because he started the last game. Um, and then there's Dean Wade that gets that little bit of a boost there. And maybe we get a little bit extra from Karis LeVert. Allen out does help Mobley with blocks, field goal percentage, and rebounds. So that helps there. In Orlando, bunch of guys out. Suggs out. Gary Harris out. AKK out. Wendell Carter out. Suggs, Harris, AKK is just for this game. Or might be longer, but we only know that they're out for this game. While Carter is out for one to two weeks. All of these injuries, again, helps to prop Bol Bol up and get his minutes still rolling. So the sell high window still remains there. What we are going to see, though, with Suggs and Harris out is what they do with Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz. I imagine Fultz will start. Do they go with Terrence Ross as a starter? Do they go with Anthony and Fultz together? Do they, if Mo Bumba's available, does he start? And then we got Wagner, no, Wagner, um, Bunkero, and Bol as the 2-3-4. Lots of ways they can go. But the absence, again, of four rotation players here, and you could say that OKK is a borderline rotation player, but it's going to change a lot of things up for Fultz and Anthony and Boll and Mo Wagner and um, even guys like RJ Hampton, Kevon Harris, Admiral Schofield for those in deeper leagues. But a bunch of players out still in Orlando despite getting those two players back. The Carter one is really frustrating. We hope that in two weeks he's ready to go. I'm a little skeptical, but we are, we are hopeful of that. And if Bumba does play, he does become a streamable option. The bigger ones here are the injuries in Atlanta. DeAndre Hunter with the hip flexor strain is out at least a week. Yeah, I'm always going to just push a little bit further than a week on that. Maybe go two weeks there. Well, Johnny Collins is out at least two weeks with a sprained ankle. I talked about that when it happened yesterday. I said, I think this is a one to two week injury for Collins. Well, it looks like a little bit worse than that. So it's at least two weeks. So he pushed two and a half to three weeks there on John. Um, it would be a really straightforward situation if we knew what Jalen Johnson's story was because they would start Griffin, they would start Johnson. And Griffin would be a clear 12-team ad. And Jalen Johnson would be a solid 12-team option. Now, Griffin is a 12-team league ad. Like, with both of these guys out, he's a clear ad. 
What I would watch for is Jalen Johnson with the uncertainty there. Probably is more 14 team. If he is out, Jalen Johnson, then Jarrett Culver becomes your ad. And I'll get this out of the way now. I don't think that a Kongwu and Capella will play together. Will it help a Kongwu maybe get an extra half a block or something? Because Collins was getting some good defensive stats, maybe, but I don't really think so. It's all going to come down to minutes to me. And it's going to be 29 to Capella, and then it's going to be 19 for a Kongwu. Or 27 to Capella and 21 for a Kongwu. Maybe they cross over for a minute. I just, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. They, they might, but I don't think it's going to be gigantic enough where a Kongwu is playing 25 a night and Capella is playing 30. I honestly don't think that'll be the case. We didn't see that last game. And you do have an opportunity for Jalen Johnson or Jarrett Culver to fill in some of those minutes. The other thing that confuses that is the potential return of Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is questionable. Now, I think Bogdan's going to be on a minutes limit early on and will sit some back-to-backs. But he's got a chance to, I don't know if he would step in and start, but he's going to get lots more opportunity with Collins and Hunter out if only he would add, add, if only he was at his full minutes. So this means, you know, go and add Bogdan. Look, I don't, still don't think his upside's that high, but upside is boosted. Griffin's a 12-team add. Johnson, Jalen Johnson's a potential 12-team ad, and Jarrett Culver's like a 16-team to 14-team league ad. If you want to add a Kongwu because you disagree with me that they're going to share minutes, go ahead. I don't think that's a wrong move. A Kongwu's got at least a base level of value there. It's not like adding Vic Krejci, which I don't think you should do. A Kongwu's got a base level of value, and oh, I, I can't mention, didn't mention this. Capella's actually questionable, and it's not even through dental pain. He's He might not play, so yeah, sorry. Um, ignore all that stuff there about um, yeah, Kongwu. Lisa needs braces. Because Capella's questionable. So if Capella's out, Kongwu's going to have a good opportunity. Now, we did struggle a little bit when old teeth man Capella was out. Like, he didn't put up great numbers, but there's a big opportunity coming. So yeah, AJ Griffin, Kongwu, who may not work out, Jalen Johnson, and then you go to Jarrett Culver for deeper leagues. They're probably the winners there. I know we heard about this yesterday, but it was after I recorded. So um, the Lakers waived Matt Ryan. This doesn't mean a trade isn't coming now, but the reasoning was given is so they can pursue trades after the December 15th um, cutoff that makes a lot more people eligible to be dealt. Does this mean that Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are coming to the Lakers? No. It might, but it doesn't tell you that. The reason he was waived now, apparently, is they're going on like a 10-day road trip, and if they were planning to waive him anyway, they just didn't think it was worth having the extra cost of the Lakers, it's always cost, of transporting someone around, it sounds like he's a cow, of you know, of having him go with the team when he's just not in their plans and they're going to cut him when he get, they get back anyway. So they waived him now rather than take him on that road trip. That is the understanding I got from uh, Eric Pincus, I think tweeted that out, talking about why it was done now and not yeah, right at December 15th. It doesn't mean they've got something right in the hopper ready to go, but they weren't planning on using him. He was going to get cut and they just did it before this like long, long road trip that they're on. So there you go. Some other injury news. Mike Conley's out. Chris Paul is out again. Brendan Ingram is out. Herb Jones is out. Actually, they're both doubtful, sorry. Um, so, yeah, as we talked about on the preview show earlier today, yeah, the value there of Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels um, has really, really bumped with those two guys out. CJ McCollum is likely to return, but those two guys still out. It's interesting. Campaign we keep rolling with. Colin Sexton we keep rolling with. And the frustration is there. With the CP3 injury, we just don't know what's going on. The frustration's there with the Wendell Carter Jr. injury where we were told it was nothing and now it's at least two weeks. Like, this is, it's annoying. Like, we wish we could get more accurate information and teams like the Orlando Magic are shocking at it. Yeah, so Memphis, there's two of the worst teams in the NBA at giving accurate medical information. The Hawks, actually, are probably one of the better ones. So at least we got some strong information from them. Although their Bogdan Bogdanovich updates haven't been particularly great. Um... 
today's episode is brought to you by betonline.net. Betonline.net is your number one source for all sports betting info, news, analysis, and stats. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. Basketball, football, the World Cup, other soccer, esports. It's all there at betonline.net. And if you, like me, are a believer in the Super Bowl, future Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins, you can check out our odds for Week 13, where the Dolphins are four-point underdogs against the San Francisco 49ers. So if you believe in the Dolphins, if you want to fin up, they're four-point underdogs. You can get some good odds over at betonline.net, which is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, so what I decided I was going to do here is I went through EPM. EPM, I think, is EPM, Raptor, LeBron, and Darko. I think are the three, four best advanced numbers, advanced stats. I really love what they do. EPM, it's on a website called Dunks and Threes. Um, and you can check out, they have so much stuff. They rate everyone in percentiles. There's um, EPM, offensive and defensive, estimated wins, true shooting, rim percentage, mid-range shooting. Um, a lot of different stats that they have out, out there. And EPM is a really good indication, I think, of just showing how effective a player is. It stands for estimated plus minus. And it just gives you an idea of like how good this player is using box score and tracking and on-off data um, and, and ranks them, really. That, that's that's how, where we're at with them. Or what that stat does. For example, the number one player according to EPM this season is Curry, followed by Doncic, followed by Jokic, followed by Tatum, Giannis, Durant, Embiid, Davis, Booker, and Shea. Pretty hard to argue with that top 10, is it? Like, that's a pretty strong top 10. Um, then you got Ja Morant, Donovan Mitchell. Like, pretty good top 12, yeah, of players with value. So I went through every team and wanted to just highlight something that was intriguing to me. So let's look at it. You might not like this. You want to fast forward to the recap? By all means. I think there's something in here to at least stick into your head a little bit or keep in the back of your mind. The Atlanta Hawks. AJ Griffin is in the 65th percentile in the entire NBA. He's got the fifth best, fifth best for AJ Griffin, EPM on his team as a rookie. Better than a Kongwu, better than Hunter, better than the Holidays. Yes, he's still behind Collins, Murray, Capella, and Young. But 65th percentile, basically a neutral as a rookie, is massive. And we're going to get that opportunity to see him play. You know, I've been talking about, hey, I think he's good. I talked about in the draft. Why did he slide so far? Ridiculous. What are the Wizards doing? Picking bloody Johnny Davis over him. Like, it was crazy to me. I had him at six or seven, I think, in this draft. And so far, his play has shown that, yeah, he was probably a little bit underdrafted. And he's been useful. And now we get that opportunity to see it. In Boston, I was pretty surprised to see this. Maximum Derek. Derek White is in the 92nd percentile of EPM, and he's second on the team. Ahead of Jalen Brown, ahead of Malcolm Brogdon, ahead of Marcus Smart, ahead of Al Horford. Not that those guys aren't having great seasons, but White is really impactful offensively and defensively with a low usage. 93rd percentile defensively. That's very interesting. Um, who, yeah, who knows how much they're using this, these sort of advanced numbers, but a lot of the things tie in. And the fact that White is in the 92nd percentile and Grant Williams is in the 42nd percentile maybe gives you an indication of why they switch back to that sort of situation with White starting over Williams. And I've been a little bit skeptical of White maintaining value. This was really eye-opening. In Brooklyn, nothing majorly stood out except at the bottom. I know people love Cam Thomas. I think he's actually really bad. And these numbers would suggest the same thing. 21st percentile overall in EPM, and that includes 17th percentile on offense. 
I just don't think he's a, a good and effective NBA player. He's got an effective field goal percentage, which accounts for the value of threes, not free throws, though, just the value of threes. He's in the second percentile for his shooting. That's abominable. Charlotte, Dennis Smith Jr. has the highest EPM on this team. He's in the 98th percentile defensively, 84th percentile overall. That's really good. Now, he's doing it on 16 usage, 28 minutes a night. These are, And it's not through great shooting. Like, he's in the 27th percentile E field goal percentage. He's 9th percentile mid-range. It's all defensive stuff, really. And offensively, he's a bit below average. Actually, no, he's right on average, 52nd percentile. Like, he's really good. But I just don't know where the minutes are going to be there. I was, I've been pretty worried about where Zach Levine is. He's still 82nd percentile. And I thought, okay, so maybe, maybe I am imagining it. Just something doesn't feel right with Levine. But maybe I am just imagining that. See, second on the team behind DeRozan. Ahead of Vooch, ahead of Caruso, ahead of Williams, obviously. DeSumo's way, way down that list. For Cleveland, Evan Mobley. Probably a little bit disappointing for him. 62nd percentile. That's like a negative 0.4, so a slight hit to a team. Not great. And he's seventh on the team behind Dean Wade, Kevin Love, Karis LeVert even, and the big three of Mitchell, Garland, Allen. It's been a troubling season for him. I know the Mavericks are playing today, and this guy, are we talking about how well he's been playing? Well, Josh Green's the third uh, best player on the Mavericks, according to these numbers. 75th percentile in the NBA, well ahead of Christian Wood, well ahead of Dorian Finney-Smith. Well ahead of Tim Hardaway. Defensively, he's been excellent. His effective field goal percentage is 99th percentile, which probably falls off, but he has been amazingly good. Denver, the big stiffy Bones Highland has been bad. We know he's had high usage, but part of the reason, I guess, why some of his minutes have been low at times is how poorly he's played. 35th percentile. He's the eighth best on the team behind Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Maga Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, Vlaco Chanchar. He's just marginally ahead of DeAndre Jordan. Most of it is because he just stinks defensively, like he's really bad. And we know that there were some real issues with him um, early on in the um, season in terms of Malone's minutes. And that, I guess, is why just sucking defensively and not being able to do anything. The Detroit Pistons. Killian Hayes, it's been good. Look, he's been improving. Absolutely no question about that. But still 20th percentile and last on the team. The opportunities there for him, and I still think he probably can be a fantasy guy, but if you're using this as an indication to have significant belief in him moving forward, well, these advanced numbers would tell you that there's still massive struggles here for Hayes, who's in the first percentile for effective field goal percentage and finishing at 32% at the rim, which is just ludicrously horrible. It's horrible. It's the zeroth percentile. That's that's actually horrible. Um, John Kaminga, who had a really good game last time out, the numbers would suggest he's been terrible as well. 10th percentile, negative 4.7. That's really quite poor. Now, he is stepping up, and there is an opportunity here for him to stream on Friday, Saturday with a potentially bigger load if they do rest, guys. And I want to watch where it goes, but so far, it's been bad. It's been better than Wiseman and Moody, but it has been bad. For the Rockets, did you know that Alperen Shagun has the highest EPM on this 10 by a significant margin? He's also in the 86th percentile overall in the NBA. He's at 1.8. Kevin Porter's at 0.3, and Jalen Green's at negative 0.6. Shangun is really, really, is he their best player? According to this, he is. And according to the impact on the team, he is. Is he their best prospect? Probably not. But he's been really good. Makes it even more frustrating of the early season benching nonsense that went on. I was surprised to see in Indiana that Jalen Smith, Sticks, was um, ranked as high as he was. Stand by your man. 
We know he's had some real ups and downs, and his shooting numbers are pretty poor. 51% E field goal percentage is yuck. But he's 76th percentile overall in EPM. That's third on the team behind Halliburton and Heald. He's ahead of Turner, ahead of Matherin, ahead of Nembard, ahead of Duarte, Neesmith. So I guess you know, there's some... And defensively, he's got a really high ranking. So I guess if the shooting starts to come up, maybe we are seeing something with him. Maybe. I'm not sure, but maybe. That, that opened my eyes a little bit. We know Kawhi's been bad, but did you know that he's still in the 71st percentile in the NBA and third on the team? It's limited minutes. I just thought he was so much worse than that. And yeah, he's behind George and Zubats, but ahead of Reggie Jackson, Norman Powell, Marcus Morris. Still impactful in those minutes. I want to highlight Kendrick Nunn because there's so much buzz about him last season, or how, how much they miss him, and so much buzz about him in the preseason. He's in the first percentile, negative 6.5. He's dreadful. He's the last on this team. He's really quite poor. Um, and you know, I shit on Dylan Brooks, but give the bloke props. He was really high in EPM last season. And he's doing it again. 89th percentile, third on this team behind Bain and Morant, who are crazily high as well. 97th and 93rd percentile for Bain and Morant. But Brooks does it just impacting things defensively continually. Offensively, he's graded about a neutral, which is actually a surprise to me. But as I said, he's upped his assist rate this season. And he has reduced some of the stupidity with his usage and, and shooting. But to see him that high ahead of Jackson, ahead of Adams, it, it, it is surprising for sure. In Miami, a lot of talk about my Bam and how good he's been. And he has been improved of late. I was shocked to see that he's in the 42nd percentile defensively. So much talk of him being in the defensive player of the year discussions. It's really hard to measure defense, obviously. But 42nd percentile, that's bad. Like that, that's, that deserves a little bit more investigation, I think. Um, in Milwaukee. Javon Carter's in the 84th percentile in the NBA. He's fourth on this team behind the big three. Or one of those big three, oh, sorry, not including Chris Milton, Lopez, Holiday, and Giannis. But the fact that Carter's given them these minutes, especially defensively, but not really hurting them uh, offensively, shooting okay, apart from being horrendous at the rim, like mid-range shooting good, three-point shooting good. I wonder if he's able to maintain 25 minutes ahead of Grayson Allen. Now, the difference between him and Grayson Allen on this list is negligible, 1.5 to 1.4. So at least giving rotational minutes. I still think that Carter's going to be a 12-team drop and, and probably is, but that was interesting to see. It's also really interesting to see how bad Rudy Gobert is ranking out in the defensive metrics. Metrics. He's only a 0.1. Basically neutral defend, defender. 68th percentile defensively. Offensively, he's neutral as well. So he's basically the most average player in the NBA. 68th percentile overall is a neutral player in, in this metric. And that's really not what they traded all those draft picks for. Trey Murphy, I really like Trey Murphy. I think he can be a good defender. His defensive metrics are grading out horribly. Not as bad as Valanciunas, who's in the fifth percentile there, but Trey's in the 16th. Now, offensively, he's really good, and he's, he's like 59th percentile overall. That's still only, what, seventh on this team behind Zion, Ingram, Nance, McCollum, Alvarado, Valanciunas, and then Murphy, but it's ahead of Trey Jones, uh, Trey, ahead of Herbert Jones, sorry. Um, but yeah, defensively, some room to grow. Rowan Barrett's really embarrassingly bad, to be honest. Is he just, he, maybe he's just not good. 10th on the team in EPM. 10th behind Reddish, Rose, Grimes, Toppin, Quickly, Hartenstein, Randall, Robinson, Brunson. He's got, he's in the 40th percentile in the NBA. And if you're getting paid almost a max contract and you're a starter playing 35 minutes, holy shit, you need to do a lot more than that. And that's a real worry. OKC, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, second on the team. Didn't expect that. In the 81st percentile in the NBA, 
Really good off or solid offensively, solid defensively. Didn't see that coming either. He's a low usage player. He's pushing to be a 14, 16 team league fantasy guy. But this sort of positive impact is probably why he's getting these consistent minutes. Like third on this team is Dort, then Joe, Kenrich Williams, Trey Mann, then Giddy, Mascala, Omarui, Poku, Wiggins, Baisley, and the Bronco Jalen Williams way down the bottom. Very interesting there. Bol Bol. We know how good he's been and how much of a surprise he's been, but only 37th percentile overall. Ninth on the team. And because his defensive metrics are horrific. He's in the fourth percentile, negative 2.4. Offensively, he's basically a neutral. He's zero, uh, 0. 0.1, which is 70th percentile. And his rim finishing is at 100%. His e-field goal percentage 93. Like All that stuff is really good. But defensively, he's getting cooked. PJ Tucker's in the 36th percentile, really struggling. And we know that defensively is good, but he's such a zero offensively that it's impacting his overall output. And he's 10th on this team. Well, I was really intrigued to see in Phoenix that Cameron Johnson's the second-ranked player on this team. This is not a cumulative status, not based on minutes or anything like that. It's it's yeah, per-minute sort of stuff. But Booker at one, who's way at the top. And then it's Cameron Johnson at plus four, while Chris Paul's at plus 3.5. And Aiton's at 1.7. And Bridges at 1.5. And Bridges usually dominates these metrics. But Johnson's got an astoundingly good defensive metric and a really good po- uh, offensive metric. And I didn't really expect that. So while he's still out for a few more weeks, and whether you stash him or not, I don't know. His fantasy game's not great, but his importance and impact, he's going to be getting, as soon as he can, they'll be playing him 33 minutes, and they won't be splitting his time with, with um, Tory Craig. The last group of teams I'm going to talk about here, Anthony Simons. Really surprised to see him in the 94th percentile overall in the NBA. Now, he does get a little bit of a boost playing without Lillard, but still being able to do this has been really impre- impressive. He's third on the team behind Lillard and Grant. And he's still not shooting all that well. But that's impressive. Keegan Murray, like most rookies, struggles. 20th percentile overall. 10th on the team behind Chemezi Metu and Trey Lyles and Davion Mitchell and Terrence Davis. It's just been a real struggle both offensively and defensively. I think his back injury is playing a part. Just the adjustment to the NBA. He's going to be better, but he's really not contributing to winning. Calden Johnson. Lots of opportunities for the horse this season. Whose horse is that? But he has not taken advantage of them. He's fourth on the team behind Pirtle, obviously, Vassell, Trey Jones. We know that he's just got rough shooting. 48% if field goal is dreadful. And he's 58th percentile in the NBA. He is not handling a number one role. He's not good enough at it. Can't shoot mids. Three-pointers are okay. Doesn't finish at the rim. His assist rate is all right without blowing us away. His rebounding rate is all right. His defensive stat rate is pretty poor. Yeah. Toronto, Chris Boucher, 34th percentile, ninth on the team. And while Boucher has opportunities to put up stats, his impact has always been, well, not always, recently has, hasn't been as good as it needs to be. And this is poor. He's behind Thad, he's behind Bands, and he's behind Trent. Yeah, Scotty Barnes is fourth on this team, but not as bad as maybe some of his counting stats would suggest. But that's bad for Boucher. Linux dominating here, 86th percentile, third on the team behind Conley and Markkinen. But that is just one of the big reasons why they're winning is Kelly Linux is a good player and he's getting opportunity to show that. And the thing that really made me laugh is um, in Washington, the, the stat that stood out there. No, you, Will! No, he's ready to sack that. Run, Will! Give it off quick! Barton's played almost 500 minutes. He's in the first percentile, negative 6.1. His estimated wins added is the zeroth percentile. He's almost the most damaging player in the NBA. Negative one. He's taking wins off the table. 
Not easy to do. Off, he's, he can't shoot. He's finishing at the rim at 46%. He can't hit mids. He can't hit threes. He's not rebounding. He's been dreadful. Is he cooked? I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, that's that segment. I hope you guys got something out of that. I wanted to fill in this show somehow. Let's look at some waiver wire stuff. Most added player over the last um, 24 hours. Tim Hardaway. Yep, that's for playing today, playing Saturday. And he played well last game. It's a decent ad. Jalen Noel. We love what he did yesterday. They only played one game, I think, in the next six days. It might be five days. Um, that's a worry, but the value might be there. Zach Collins is up 22%. It's a great ad. Levert up 13. Not interested, really. Markel Fultz up 13. I am intrigued. I am intrigued. It might not work out, but I'm intrigued. Dorian Finney-Smith up 11. Schedule stream. Jalen Duran up 10%. Schedule stream as well. While Kyle Anderson up 8%, I think makes a ton of sense. Your most dropped players. Terrence Mann, 14%. Okay, I get it. Dad Young down 10. Yeah, they've got a pretty good schedule coming up, so it might have been okay to hold. Caldwell Pope down 8%. No problem with that. DeAndre Hunter down 8 Clear drop. Tory Craig down 7%. Probably would have held. Seth Curry down 7 No problem with that. Avdia down 7 No problem. And Pat Williams down 6%. I think they're both, uh, or all those ones are, are pretty solid moves on the waiver wire. All right, let's get to the game. You know, it's funny. You did all that stuff on EPM, and I was talking about how Killian Hayes had some really good performances um, lately, but all his advanced stuff's still pretty bad, so maybe don't skew that. And then he goes out and just actually tears apart Dallas, which we'll get to in a second. But it is pretty um, it's pretty interesting to see, see uh, him be able to put up numbers like that, which, again, is not... Yeah, all those numbers prior to today were pretty bad. And then he just went and absolutely dominated in this game against Dallas. We'll talk about that in one second. So the Pistons get the win over the Mavericks in overtime after they sold hard at the end of regulation, but somehow they get the win, 131-125. Doncic was great, 41 minutes, 35, 5 and 10, three steals, seven triples. Unfortunately, the free throws are a disaster at the moment. He was two of six there. 52 from the field, and the field goals do remain strong, but that free throw is really having an impact. The Crucifix played 35 minutes. So he, he got to 30 minutes in regulation, got the five OT minutes, 25 and eight, 77% shooting. It's going to be up and down. It's going to be frustrating dealing with Jason Kidd and Christian Wood himself and the rotations. But this is encouraging. It's also massive from Timmy Hardaway. 40 minutes, 26 and five, six threes, two steals and one block. Now, the reason he wasn't useful wasn't because he wasn't getting minutes. It's because he was playing terribly and no shots would go in. But the last three games have been really good. The, while the minutes are up, ride it. Let's see what happens. They got to, you know, they play on Saturday as well. Add Hardaway. Let's ride it and see what happens. But understanding he's just in that group of guys who will have hot streaks and cold streaks. And uh, it's a red hot one at the moment. But if you want to look at the other side, Dinwiddie's just shit in the bed. 28 minutes, two points on 0 of 2 shooting. No rebounds, no threes, no steals. Six assists is good. But I think he's going to end up outside the top 100 as we go on from here. This was not a good game. Josh Green, yeah. Had been playing well, but the minutes weren't there. While Bullock had a slightly better game. And Finney Smith is just a schedule streamer. Six points for him, two triples. Good game from Maxi Kleber. And I, you know what I say about Maxi Kleber? You're probably going to recite what I say. Threes and blocks. Threes and blocks. And they haven't really been there this year. But guess what he had today? Two steals and four blocks. That's Maxi Kleber. Maxi Kleber's a better player than Dwight Powell, I think. Um, he played 32 minutes. Let's watch that. He becomes a streamer on these sort of days for those categories in particular. But let's watch that. This is clearly his best performance for the season. If you want to talk best performances for the season, let's talk Detroit. Let's talk Killian Hayes. 33 minutes, 22, 4-8. 77% shooting. So this is a great game. He was skewering them on mid-range pull-ups. His passing was great. 
But don't get it too twisted. Yes, he is a 12-team league player. Absolutely a 12-team league player. He took no free throws. He hit 89% of his twos and 50% of his threes and didn't get a single defensive stat here. Now, he is a top 40 player over the last week, so he's a clear, clear must-roster guy. But he won't be like this. As we said, the numbers have been mediocre this season at best. But this is the sort of game that when I was extraordinarily high on him in the draft and was clearly wrong on that, this is the sort of stuff that I could envisage him doing. Good passing, good defending with some pull-up shooting ability. And he did all of that in this game. The problem is, is in the other 150 games that he's played, he hasn't. But he looked great here. I think with Cade likely out for the year, Hayes is going to should get 33 minutes a night. And he's a 12-team league player and should be rostered. Boyan Bogdanovich played 41 minutes, had 30 points, four assists, five triples, two steals. He'd struggled a bit as well. He was outside the top 200 over the last week. But this was a great performance on 71% shooting, of course. And again, Marvin Bagley was good. This was a good game. 34 minutes, 19 and 13 with a three on 70% shooting. I was really skeptical of Bagley. I've seen him play for four years and be bad in most of that. I've seen him play and play minutes and be bad for fantasy in category leagues. Points league is a different story. Right? But he this is a, a different Marvin Bagley than I have seen in the past, and he is playing well, and he is a 12-team league guy. I don't know that he plays 30 minutes a night every night because there are some nights that he gets benched for Duran, and that happened literally last game. But he looks much better. Jaden Ivey played 35 minutes, struggled with efficiency, 40 from the field, 50 from the line. That's rough. Came off the bench, but he'll start next game. I don't know what the point of him coming off the bench is apart from it's Dwayne Casey. 16-3-6 with two triples. He does make some poor decisions still, but there's going to be elevated numbers for him with Cade out while Alf Stewart played 37 minutes. The Flaming Galar. Is that you, Mr. Stewart? Well, who the hell else do you think it'd be? Get in here, you pair of flaming galahs. Nine points on 12 shots is pretty rough, but he had 12 boards. He was okay. He is a 12-team league guy, quite obviously. Alec Burks, 10 and 6 with two steals. That's not bad. Alec Berg. He's a fringy 12-team guy, probably more 14, but he's okay for 12s. Isaiah Livers started, played seven minutes. That was starting over Ivy. Obviously, we don't need to roster him. And I tell you, I said this multiple times already. You can jack Sadiq Bay off. He's a better shooter than what we're seeing, but he's not that good. Six points in 19 minutes, five rebounds, 29%. Again, you are playing 19 minutes in an overtime game. Cade's out. Ivy doesn't start. Livers goes after seven minutes. I might say that Dwayne Case is a bad coach because I'm correct in saying that, but this is not the incorrect move. Bay is not good. Now, has he got more of a future than Marvin Bagley? Maybe, actually, I don't know. I don't know. They're actually not far apart in age. I, I didn't like the Bay pick when it was made. Um, and then I looked stupid for two years. Maybe I'm going to turn up being correct on that one. I don't know. I, think, I just think he's bad. And I don't think that he is worth having in a 12-team league. And honestly, I'm not sure he's worth having in a 14-team league. I'd probably be a little bit more reticent to drop him there. Uh, but it's pretty rough at the moment. Duran had 11 points. didn't block a shot. Like again, he's he's okay. I probably wouldn't bother outside of streaming specialties in a 12-team format because it doesn't appear like he's going to get consistently 25-plus. He'll get it some nights, but he won't get it every night. But congrats to the Pistons for getting the win. Congrats to the performances of the much maligned players, Killian Hayes and Marvin Bagley, two guys that have copped shit in many areas, from me or not from me. They both played really well, and the Pistons deserve this victory. Congratulations to them for getting it. Let's look at the lines of the night. The monstrous line of the night. 
Boyan Bogdanovic. The waiver wire line of the night is Timmy Hardaway. The young gun is Jaden Ivey. And the dud, of course, is the depressed penis. Not doing the top 10 players. Only bloody 20 players played today. So that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Odyssey. And if you're on YouTube, thumb it up, leave your comments down below. All hail Killian Hayes, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.